It's Philosophy Talk. Rational thought, my dear friends, is a, a self-rewarding virtue. And religious prejudice is a veil which protects the mind from reason. The life and thought of Baruch Spinoza. One of the most beguiling and influential philosophers of all time. Spinoza was unappreciated during his lifetime, but widely heralded after his death. What led Hegel to say that you are either a Spinozaist or not a philosopher at all? The man's intuitions were astonishing. Our guest is Rebecca Goldstein, author of Betraying Spinoza, the renegade Jew who gave us modernity. In so many different fields, in cosmology, in neuroscience, um, and certainly in philosophy, his intuitions are being vindicated um, time and time again. The life and thought of Spinoza, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Hi, I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. If you're enjoying this episode of Philosophy Talk, won't you consider supporting the show? Your donation of any size will help us stay on the air and online. Where we can continue to question everything. Accept your intelligence and help people think about things differently. Just go to philosophytalk.org and click donate at the top of the page. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken teaches philosophy and I taught philosophy for 40 years. 40 amazing years, John. Now today we're talking about the 17th century uh, Dutch philosopher Baruch Spinoza, sometimes called the inventor of modernity. Along with Descartes and Leibniz, Spinoza is one of the great rationalists of the 16th and 17th century. Yeah, he had a lot in common with those guys, but he was far more radical than either of them. John, for one thing, you know, both Descartes and Leibniz found a place in their thinking, really important places in their thinking, for something very much like the traditional Judeo-Christian God, you know, a personal God, creator of the rest of us, guider of the universe, there is not a single hint of anything like that in Spinoza's kind of atheistic uh, system. Yeah, but it's not quite fair to call Spinoza an atheist. He was a pantheist, really. A pantheist believed that God is everything, and everything is God. If everything is God, then God exists. Well, okay, but I, I don't want to quibble over labels. I mean, one thing you have to admit is that Spinoza's God, if you want to call it that, you insist on that label, is very, very different from the Judeo-Christian God. His so-called God is not a transcendent being that exists apart from the world that he supposedly created, that God just is the world. And there's nothing at all beyond it, this, this world God totality nature thing. I guess that's precisely what makes some people <clears throat> call Spinoza the inventor of modernity. He both changed the way people in the West think about God and changed the way we think about the universe as a whole very much including the place of humans within it. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of uh, Spinoza. Think of the mental and the physical. 
You know, before Spinoza, many thinkers considered the mental and the physical as radically different things. I would say that was part of common sense. It was part of philosophy. It was part of, it was a part of everything. Spinoza denied that. He saw the mental and the physical as really like two aspects of one thing, two aspects of a single universe. And that's just the tip of the universe, so to speak. There are many more than just these two aspects of the one universe. Spinoza's universe is this freestanding, multidimensional thing of boundless complexity. And we poor humans have, so far at least, a very radically incomplete understanding. Yeah, of it. it sounds a lot, if you put it that way, it sounds a lot like modern <laughs> string theory or something. And ask yourself where we humans fit into this string of things. The string of things. Well, I know one thing, not as entities made in the image and likeness of the transcendent God, not as immortal souls and a brief sojourn within the material world. Nothing like that, I assume. No, that's not what we're like at all on Spinoza's view. We're nothing but transient modes or aspects of the one universe. Think of the universe as a vast, deep pond. We're ripples in the pond, and like ripples, we don't last very long. You know, that sounds plausible to me. I bet you it sounds plausible to many people these days. It sounds maybe like common sense, but, you know, I'm sure that it struck Spinoza's contemporaries as not plausible at all, but as bold, original. More like revolutionary and dangerous. He was called Satan's emissary and the great atheist. He was even excommunicated by the Jewish congregation of Amsterdam for his, quote, monstrous deeds and abominable heresies. Wow, John, monstrous deeds. About... You know, the funny thing is, though, I mean, if I recall correctly, he was excommunicated when he was just 23. He was just a pop. Those big books that outline his philosophical system, they, they came much later, didn't they? Indeed, his most famous uh, book, The Ethics, which he was afraid to publish in his lifetime because he didn't like controversy? That was only published posthumously. Yeah, but you know how young men in a hurry to change the entire metaphysical, theological, and scientific outlook of the Western world can be. <laughs> I haven't met many Big hurry, big hurry. <laughs> I bet he was willing to talk about developing versions of his views to anyone who would listen. Well, you know, I haven't met many young men like that, but whatever exactly he did to so piss off the powers that be in his uh, Sephardic Jewish community... I know one thing. We moderns, we owe him a debt of gratitude. The gratitude did come. A little late for him to know about it. But it did come. In the 19th century, Hegel said you're either a Spinozist or not a philosopher at all. And in the 20th century, Einstein and Borges both wrote love poems to Spinoza. Wow, love poems to Spinoza. Now, you know, we said in this program once that Leibniz who actually hated Spinoza, I gather, was the most important philosopher you know the least about. But I'm starting to think we were wrong about that. It's probably Spinoza who deserves that title. Well, at a minimum, he probably deserves the title of the once most widely reviled philosopher who's now most widely revered. You know, and to find out more about this once reviled, now revered uh, philosopher, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, to follow the trail of this renegade. She files this report. By the time Baruch Spinoza was 23 years old, his philosophies had already ruffled a lot of feathers in the Portuguese Jewish community of Amsterdam. He claimed God and nature were the same thing. He began to question everything. Everything! Creation and our creator! That's a clip from Tariq Ali's Spinoza, the Apostle of Reason. 
On July 27, 1656, the Jewish leaders in Amsterdam issued a harem on Spinoza, a total exclusion from the Jewish community. The matter has been carefully examined by the ruling scholars and councils. They consent to the banishment forever of Baruch de Spinoza from the nation of Israel. The Jewish leaders wrote, Cursed be he by day and cursed be he by night. Cursed be he when he lies down and cursed be he when he rises up. Cursed be he when he goes out and cursed be he when he comes in. You get the picture. Yeah, he really pissed somebody off. That's Stephen Nadler, a philosophy professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a Spinoza expert. This is by far the harshest uh, harem ever issued by that community in this period. There were dozens of uh, dozens of harems issued by the Amsterdam community uh, between 1630 and 1680, um, and they're for a variety of offenses: um, taking a book out of the library without permission, um, for insulting the rabbis, for gambling, for lewd behavior in the streets. But usually, the harem was lifted after a short period of time when the offender made an apology and paid a fine. Spinoza never apologized. At least there's no documentation of it. Even still, people have tried really hard to get Spinoza reintegrated into Judaism. There was an instance in 1927 when uh, Joseph Klausner, the historian at Hebrew University, uh, stood on a hilltop and proclaimed the ban was lifted. Uh, and of course, he had no authority to do that. didn't mean anything. And then in 1953, um, David Ben-Gurion, former prime minister of Israel, insisted that the ban should be lifted. But the only authority who could lift the ban would be the leadership of the Amsterdam Portuguese community that issued the ban in the first place. And they were not going to do that. But then a couple of years ago, a member of the Portuguese congregation wanted the issue raised again. That was in 2012. The congregation put together an advisory committee of Spinoza experts to weigh in, including Stephen Nadler. Nadler's takeaway was, what's the point? Spinoza is long dead. It would just be a symbolic move. The only reason why you would want to lift the harem is because it would be a kind of public relations boon, um, kind of proclaiming to the world, um, Spinoza is one of ours and we welcome him back with open arms. The 2012 effort to get Spinoza de-excommunicated didn't work. And Nadler thinks that's a good thing. He says reintegrating Spinoza into Judaism would undermine Spinoza's philosophies. Spinoza no longer saw himself as Jewish, but he didn't see himself as Christian or Muslim or anything. He was an individual who, like all individuals, are part of nature. Ultimately, we don't know how Spinoza felt about his excommunication because there's no documentation on that. But Nadler thinks Spinoza couldn't have cared less. For him to be welcomed back into this or that particular religious community, for him would be a meaningless thing. Maybe a betrayal of what Spinoza stands for. He, you know, he doesn't want to be a member of this club that wants him as a member. Baruch Spinoza died in The Hague at age 44. He was making a living grinding optical lenses at the time, and the dust from the glass exacerbated an earlier lung illness. In the 20-plus years after his excommunication, Spinoza continued to write philosophical works about the nature of reality, politics, and, of course, religion. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. You can listen to the rest of this program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.